Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programmers podcast. Once again, a board man has got access to a microphone and will use it to be wrong on the internet. Once again, I am that board man and my name is Graham Lee. The topic for this episode will be the Tyobi Index. For those of you who don't know, there is a uh, software quality uh, company called Tyobi, T-I-O-B-E, um, and they have a monthly index of programming language popularity, and we'll go into the methodology of that later. Uh, but um, every month they publish the updated ranking of programming languages, and every month there's a minor kerfuffle about why uh, someone's pet language isn't higher up than it should be. And then every January they publish Programming Language of the Year, and there's a bit more of a major kerfuffle uh, about why someone's pet language isn't as high up as it should be. Uh, and so I felt it was high time to contribute to this kerfuffle. Now, the Programming Language of the Year this month, i.e. for the year of 2021, was uh, Python, which narrowly beat C-sharp. As I said, people uh, usually claim to reject Tyobi's methodology and also want to justify why their pet language isn't as high uh, in the rankings as it ought to be, um, which is you know a bit of a weird position to take. Uh, you could imagine rejecting the methodology and therefore rejecting the ranking outright, or uh, accepting that there was some merit to this idea of language popularity and thus having a uh, a change or a tweak or a justification for uh, a language having a different position than it ought. But people often take both <coughs> positions simultaneously. So let's have a, a little look at what this ranking is, <coughs> how it's constructed uh, and you know, what that means, whether it's a, uh, a valuable thing or not. So uh, Tyobi Index measures the popularity of search terms involving names of programming languages. Uh, and you know, because programming languages are either given trivial names like C or Go, uh, or are named after things that already exist, like Python and Java, um, they look for search terms that involve uh, programming in some way. Uh, so they might search for Java and programming, not just for Java. And they use this popularity of uh, search term occurrences as a, pro as a proxy measure for the popularity of the programming language. So if more people are searching for uh, programming in Java than programming in Python, they would say that Java is more popular than Python. Um, at any particular time, this is probably a reasonably good proxy metric. If more people, uh, and particularly in the like broad scale, so you know, if there's like a small difference of a fraction of a percent uh, or a fraction of a percentage point between two programming languages, then saying one is more popular than the other may be questionable. But if Java is somewhere up near the top of the scale and like um, you know, FoxPro 
Visual Fox Pro is somewhere down near the bottom of the scale, then it is reasonable to say that Java is probably more popular than Visual Pro Fox Pro. Um, and yeah, we accept that there are different reasons that people search for programming languages. Uh, either they want to learn the language or they have a problem that they need to solve using a particular programming language. But yeah, both are in the broad uh, about the, yeah, the, the, the popularity of both of these is a relationship to the popularity of the language. Um, not necessarily to the success or adoption of the language. Uh, yeah, we see in the Stack Overflow developer experience survey that very few people use Rust and yet many, many people are interested in Rust. And that would cause a popularity. People going, uh, I don't know Rust, but it looks interesting. I want to learn more about it. That would contribute to its popularity as much as, say, <clears throat> let, you know, let's imagine that a lot of people use C++, which is true, and that they don't like C++, which may or may not be true. Um, going, oh, God, I have to solve this problem. I don't want to think about it any more than I have to. Um, so I'm going to like, just type it into a search engine and see if someone has already solved this problem. Both of those things would contribute to the popularity of the language, but we would understand that C++ is much wider deployed um, and you know, has some level of uh, sort of real-world success that Rust doesn't. Yet, the fact that there are many people who are interested in Rust is still a useful signal, and combining those two signals together is not uh, such a bad thing. Because popularity is useful for making hiring and like software architecture decisions. If I have a new component and I want to choose what language to build it in, I want to know how easy is it going to be to like, offer some sort of sustainable development organization that uh, can work on this component beyond the lifetime of the project, i.e. can maintain it, um, if I pick a particular language, am I painting myself into a corner? So, you know, from that position, like the top 10, say, languages are likely good bets, you know, the, uh, particularly uh, looking at the trends, which we'll come back to, but like Java, C, C++ uh, have all been in the top 10 for a very long time. You are likely to be able to find a Java programmer team both now to build your project and later um, when you, you know, when those people leave and you need to rehire to carry on the maintenance of the project. What we don't see is good uh, consistency over time, I would argue, and that because it's trends that are interesting, this is somewhat problematic. So... Yeah, the index goes back into the 90s. Like Java appears on the index at some point, and Java was released around 94. So back in 1994, if Java was an exciting new language that you wanted to learn more about, you probably didn't go to a search engine. Uh, you, know, you probably didn't go to Lycos uh, or Ask Jeeves and type in Java programming. You probably went out and bought a book. So the people who are the excited by a new language and want to learn more about it 
probably aren't going to appear. But these days, there's way more information uh, on the you know on the web, um, and also like the online information has moved. Uh, in 1994, there would have been a lot more information available on say gopher and searched with a search engine like veronica or even on um you know broader search uh, technologies like wace and uh, like archie than there would have been on purely web-based uh, search systems because the web was not yet the ubiquitous um technology on top of the internet uh, protocol that it is today so the saying right this language you know had this position in 1995 and has this position in 2015 therefore is still just as popular is uh, is problematic but also you know comparing programming language choices over 20 years is longer than the lifetime of many software projects and so is not that big a deal there are, of course, plenty of projects out there that have lasted that long, or even longer. You know, we look at Unix and the C programming language, for example. Uh, but that is you know, well into the long tail. It's also not clear whether the sources used are exhaustive or representative. You know, if I um, and this is me, the individual, not me, the representative of a software engineer. If I, Graham Lee, want to find information out about a programming language, then yes, I can go to uh, my search engine, which by default is DuckDuckGo. Um, I could you know, compare the results from multiple search engines if I wanted. If I had particular problems, I might you know, search like Stack Overflow. Um, so you know, all of the things we understand as common search engine uh, things. But you know, I also might just ask in. Um, a local technology slack or uh, I might um, search my university's library or I might search the ACM digital library these later searches are likely to not appear now th the common denominator searches places like DuckDuckGo, Google, Yahoo, Yandex you know, um, are those a good enough representation of how programmers search for information to give us a good proxy metric for the search popularity, which is the thing that Tayobi claimed to be measuring as a proxy for language popularity. So I'm asking the question, they have this language popularity idea, which they measure uh, by proxy using search engine popularity. I'm asking, is there... Uh, methodology for analysing search engine popularity actually a good proxy for search engine popularity as an idea itself. So as I said there's this idea that like I can use this information to answer questions such as um, I have a new uh, project I want to staff up a team what is a yeah, what are the risks associated with language choice. Now in isolation, the Tyobi index doesn't give me a whole lot of information, except languages at the top are probably safe bets. Languages at the bottom may not be safe bets. Now, it's not clear whether a language at the bottom is 
one that is you know has been successful before and is dropping out of uh, favor or one that is not yet in wide adoption uh, but may become one uh, so in the future or one that has sort of found its niche and is plateauing um, but that's fine because if I genuinely want to find out more I can like dig into say the history uh, or the user community around those languages to make those distinctions I don't have to use this metric in isolation but what I really want if I'm making that sort of forecast decision uh, you know that how sustainable will a project be if I'm going to adopt a particular language for it and also uh, the other use that you could imagine for this uh, kind of index is for someone who is entering the field someone who is learning the theoretical basics of computing in say a computer science degree or is looking to uh, enter you know say a boot camp and you know, gain a sort of practical experience of programming and they want to know what language should i learn in order to be hireable and in order to have you know the the junior level of career over the first few years uh, that then lets me understand more of the sort of transferable bits of software engineering knowledge that will uh, enable me to sort of progress onto maybe different languages onto um, senior positions in teams in onto management whatever you know career track i end up on uh, in both of those cases, I really want forecast information. I want to know, you know, am I uh, going to still be hireable in two years' time, given that you know the average sort of tenure on a software engineering role, probably somewhere between eighteen months and three years. So, you know, in two years' time, will learning Python still be a still have been a good idea? You know, let's say there are plenty of Python jobs out there now. It's number one in the Tyobi Index and Programming Language of the Year. Um, in two years' time, will that still be true? And you know, we have to sort of evaluate what we can predict from uh, from the information we have. Or if I'm that architect who's choosing a language to Im implement a new project in, uh, will I still be able to hire Python developers two years down the line? And Toby can't answer that. He can't tell me what will happen in a couple of years. Um, and so what they do as a sort of near enough for that is that they tell me what has happened. And that's why the programming language of the year is what was the trend this year. Python is not the programming language of the year 2021 because it... Uh, got to number one in the popularity rankings in December 2021. Python is the language of the year 2021 because it had the biggest growth in popularity over that year. So what, the, you know, what they're trying to say is this was where the most increase in interest, this is where the most new interest uh, arose. And so you probably would find that it doesn't suddenly die out next year. That you know, if you if you choose Python for your project today, or if you choose to learn Python and become uh, a Python programmer 
uh, as a career choice today, you're probably not going to regret that by the end of uh, 2022. Of course, there are um, black swan effects. Um, for example, in the Apple community, the Swift programming language uh, it very quickly killed off interest in the Objective-C programming language. If you became an Objective-C programmer at the beginning of 2014, which probably didn't look like a bad choice because it was a fairly high-ranked uh, language, and because you know, if you wanted to work in the Apple ecosystem, that was basically what you had to do, then by the end of 2014, it already started to look like a bit of a, a questionable choice. Um, and you know, now, uh, albeit se seven, eight years later, uh, it, people don't start new projects in Objective-C. Not all people, I understand that. Uh, so, obviously, Python is uh, has much bigger cross-platform heritage, has a much bigger um, sort of you know multi-vendor uh, history or even vendor-agnostic history than Objective-C does. So, the likelihood of that kind of black swan event where the entire Python community goes, nope, you know what, we're going to like uh, all learn Elixir instead. That is a lot less likely. Um, but you know, you still get these situations where, like, you know, where where a community hollows out. A lot of people who were interested in Ruby were interested in it for Rails, but Rails is no longer an exciting uh, place to develop web applications and people have moved to uh, node or uh, you know to like the elixir based stack and of course node is no longer an exciting way to do it either um the same would be true for php you know, these are languages where while there is no single vendor there is definitely a sort of single community based around solving a particular problem and if people decide there is a better way to solve that particular problem in all of those cases, the problem being web applications, they would move on, uh, and you know you would suddenly find that it is harder if you picked that language because you were trying to solve the same problem. You would find that you are trying to hire for legacy code maintainers. You're not trying to hire for uh, you know developers who are interested in uh, moving that ecosystem forwards. So, you know, we come on to a an orthogonal question to language popularity, which is how do I make my uh, technology choices anti-fragile to the whims and the caprices of the developer community? How do I make it uh, anti-fragile to changes in like trends in what in interests in uh, what people are willing to take money to work on? And, you know, there are a bunch of answers to that. Um, the virtual machine. Like, it doesn't matter whether someone is interested in uh, Java or not. Uh, to maintain a platform that is uh, delivered on the Java virtual machine because they could, uh, you know, use Groovy or they could use Kotlin or they could use Clojure or they could use Scala and still interoperate with, like, the existing code or, you know, replace the existing code. Uh, microservices, similarly... If um, you know, if we've got a microservice, uh, sorry, if we've got a microservice architecture, and it turns out that like Go is no longer exciting and Rust is, well, the team that's building the new feature can 
switch to Rust and just build a service in Rust. What's needed in all those uh, cases is uh, clear sort of interoperability contracts, uh, you know, tests or design by contract contracts, so that when it um, comes time to build a new thing on a completely different uh, language, it still interoperates correctly. Or when it comes time to replace the old thing with a thing built in the new language, it's, it still interoperates with the rest of the system uh, correctly. And of course, that um, approach is sort of hardening Conway's law, uh, the idea that your software architecture reflects your org chart. Because if you say, we need to be able to uh, keep all of this stuff working and yet have a boundary so that we can replace this thing in you know, new shiny language, um, that means that there is a, like, a, a hard and well-defined boundary between the stuff that you're keeping and the stuff that you're replacing, which probably means you have different teams uh, because you know you decided to use a different language, so you've hired developers with different experiences, uh, and therefore your org chart and your software architecture are going to reflect each other. Uh, yeah, this is the corollary to Conway's law: is that the the easiest way to evolve your software is to make sure that your org chart follows the software architecture. So that's the the sort of you know, high level reasoning behind the um, uh, you know, the way that I interpret the Tyobi index. It tells me in broad strokes what languages are, you know, are are low risk for adoption and maybe more risky for adoption. It doesn't tell me what the reasons behind low popularity of languages are. Um, they could only apply to particular niches. They could be on their way out or they could be on their way up and I need other information to locate that um, but the inf the high level information about the risk is useful to um, new people entering the uh, field who are asking what language should I learn so that I can get a programming job at all and it is inf uh, information that is useful to um, to platform architects to uh, software architects asking what is a good choice for building this technology so that I can still hire some developers um, and so that my code doesn't depend on you know having the only two OCaml programmers in the world uh, both hired by my team and that they don't like suddenly lose interest to go work for Google but that both of these actually want forecast information which Tyobi can't provide uh, therefore, we have to sort of combine current popularity with both um, recent historical trends and with some form of anti-fragility anti in order to get a good answer to both of the questions uh, that we might want to apply it to. Now let's dig into the specifics uh, of the um, of the index as it currently stands. Uh, I think Python as language of the year is fairly unsurprising. Um, it has been a popular choice in education. Like people are starting to um, not like the idea of teaching Scratch because it is seen as a toy for teaching children. 
and uh, saying that Python is somewhat easy to teach and has real-world application, and so uh, they're preferring that. Uh, it has growing use amongst like data scientists and in numeric programming, um, and I'll come on to why I think those have a, an outsized impact on the scale later. The fact that Python is number one overall, i.e. that the if you rank the languages, then in December 2021, Python came out top for like you know for instantaneous popularity amongst all programming languages i find very surprising because i you know from the like biased view of the community the programming language community that i see i see python as fulfilling particular niches it is used a lot in science it is used a lot in uh, data science but it isn't used a lot in like you know enterprise software development, in in-house software development, in desktop applications, in mobile applications, uh, and so it seems it isn't used a lot as a web backend. You know, Jago is quite popular, but it isn't like you know the most popular in that space. So I'm quite surprised that taken across like theoretically the entire of programming, Python comes out top. I find. C-sharp as the runner-up language to programming language of the year, i.e. the idea that C-sharp had the second highest increase in popularity. That I do find surprising because I can't point to anything that happened over this year that would make a lot of people who previously hadn't been looking for C-sharp start looking for C-sharp. I don't think there was you know, a particular gain in say Unity for games development or in Xamarin for cross-platform. Um, I suppose Windows 11 came out and that might um, make people want to sort of pick up their existing C-sharp projects and make sure that they are still compatible with Windows 11. Um, but that doesn't seem like something that would cause like a massive uptick in popularity. So I, I don't quite understand that. What I do find surprising additionally about uh, C-sharp, and not just C-sharp, but the entire Microsoft technology stack is that it is, it is so suppressed in overall rankings. You know, if, if you ask me what do most people do when they are writing software, I would say that like the vast majority of people who are writing software are doing it in Excel. Excel doesn't even appear on the TIOB index. I don't think they class that as a programming language, but it is the most popular IDE on the planet. And then you have the people who are doing um, you know, VBA in Excel. You have the people who are uh, doing VB to take their you know, spreadsheets and turn them into sort of standalone applications or integrate them with uh, you know, with, with like Microsoft Dynamics and uh, so on, um, and then you have the people who are writing like uh, sort of custom software in the software engineering sense as a long tail on all of that like in-house um, ad hoc spreadsheet-driven software development thing. So you know, I am surprised that like Python and Java come above. Visual Basic, let alone above, like you know, C sharp and things. I don't know whether that is my mental model of how 
uh, software is written being wrong. I, I imagine it is. Or whether it's um, like those searches not being captured by the Tyobi index, which I imagine it also is. That you know, people who are doing Excel and even people who are doing VBA in Excel perhaps don't see it as programming and don't do programming-related searches that show up in the um, you know, in in the metrics that Tyobi collect. Then the other thing that I find quite surprising is that even the sort of 12 to 20 um, scale of languages are somewhat niche or long tail. You know, they are either uh, legacy languages that people wouldn't adopt anymore or they are used in particular contexts. So rattling through them in order, uh, number 12 is R which is like a, a language for data scientists that kind of competes on a par with Python. You either learned Python or you learned R, uh, and it doesn't really have any um, you know, broad use outside that, I think. Um, Go, which, while like a general purpose language, um, has not necessarily uh, seen a, uh, a massive amount of adoption, despite like uh, quite a bit of interest. Delphi, which is like you know legacy long tail stuff, um, classic Visual Basic again, legacy long tail. MATLAB is another sort of scientific domain specific language. You wouldn't like choose to write your um, enterprise resource planning software in MATLAB, for example. Uh, Groovy, um, I don't remember Groovy ever getting any particular like traction outside of Jenkins. Um, and a few web applications, but you know they were not. Um, it was never like a particularly uh, popular choice for. I want to write a web app on the JVM. It was mostly a Jenkins plugin thing. Uh, then we get Ruby, uh, which you know obviously is a now a long tail legacy code web application platform. But I'm surprised that it's sort of you know lower down than a lot of these. Uh, you know, niche specific or um, or uh, other legacy things that were less popular than Ruby was. So, you know, Ruby was the thing that made GitHub popular. And now GitHub is ubiquitous and Ruby is like way down in the long tail of programming languages. I find that interesting. And then finally, uh, Fortran and Perl round out uh, positions 19 and 20. And those are both um, legacy languages um fortran specifically in like scientific programming and perl a bit more general uh, purpose but i think there is a science bias uh in the methodology here because you know we see uh python is number one uh, as i said before that seems to be indicative of a science bias um and then we have like r matlab Fortran and I'm going to include Perl here because Perl had a massive adoption in astronomy and in bioinformatics uh, sort of in the um, two decades ago so in the 2000s and I'm wondering whether it's the long tail of that and a science bias in the uh, you know, in the methodology that Tyobi use that explains why these things are still in the top 20. Um, it, it you know it just seems quite surprising as i say 
I don't particularly think you know, once you've sort of gone below the top 10, you're basically saying, you know, I need a reason to choose this language. And if you're in the top 10, you're saying nobody ever got fired for choosing this language, with the exception that, like, assembly is in the top 10, um, which is, A, not a single language, and B, probably because you need to learn it at some point to debug things that are written in other uh, languages. You probably wouldn't pick that for your next like startup you wouldn't go right i'm going to build my um you know my software as a service in arm assembly anyway that's what i think about the um uh, the tyobi index and the language of the year it's how i choose to interpret those figures it's why i choose uh to pay attention to them and to read the uh, the popularity index every month as it comes out as always, interested to hear what you think as well. You can uh, email me, Graham Lee, at acm.org. You'll find me on Twitter, I was Lee G, I W A S L E E G. Uh, this is the first episode of 2022. So, Happy New Year, if I haven't already said that to you uh, before. And I will talk to you again soon. <laughs>